welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We have two stories for you for Valentine's Day today, The Love of Long Ago and The Indiscretion, by Guy de Maupassant. Hope you enjoy them. The old-fashioned chateau was built on a wooded knoll in the midst of tall trees with dark green foliage. The park extended to a great distance, in one direction to the edge of the forest, in another to the distant country. A few yards from the front of the house was a huge stone basin with marble ladies taking a bath. Other basins were seen at intervals down to the foot of the slope, and a stream of water fell in cascades from one basin to another. From the manor house, which preserved the grace of a superannuated coquette, down to the grottoes encrusted with shellwork, where slumbered the loves of a bygone age. Everything in this antique demesne had retained the physiognomy of former days. Everything seemed to speak still of ancient customs, of the manners of long ago, of former gallantries, and of the elegant trivialities so dear to our grandmothers. In a parlor in the style of Louis XV, whose walls were covered with shepherds paying court to shepherdesses, beautiful ladies in hoop skirts, and gallant gentlemen in wigs, a very old woman, who seemed dead as soon as she ceased to move, was almost lying down in a large easy chair, at each side of which hung a thin, mummy-like hand. Her dim eyes were gazing dreamily toward the distant horizon, as if they sought to follow through the park the visions of her youth. Through the open window every now and then came a breath of air laden with the odor of grass and the perfume of flowers. It made her white locks flutter around her wrinkled forehead, and old memories float to her brain. Beside her, on a tapestried stool, a young girl, with long fair hair hanging in braids down her back, was embroidering an altar cloth. There was a pensive expression in her eyes, and it was easy to see that she was dreaming, while her agile fingers flew over her work. But the old lady turned round her head and said, "'Bertha, read me something out of the newspapers.' "'that I may still know sometimes what is going on in the world.' "'The young girl took up a newspaper "'and cast a rapid glance over it. "'There is a great deal about politics, Grandmama. "'Shall I pass that over?' "'Yes, yes, darling. "'Are there no love stories? "'Is gallantry then dead in France, "'that they no longer talk about abductions or adventures "'as they did formerly?' "'The girl made a long search through the columns in the newspaper.' "'Here is one,' she said. "'It's entitled A Love Drama.' "'The old woman smiled through her wrinkles. "'Read that for me,' she said. "'And Bertha commenced. "'It was a case of vitriol throwing. "'A wife, in order to avenge herself on her husband's mistress, "'had burned her face and eyes. "'She had left the court of Assises acquitted, "'declared to be innocent, amid the applause of the crowd.' The grandmother moved about excitedly in her chair, and exclaimed, "'That is horrible! Why, it's perfectly horrible! See whether you can find anything else to read me, darling!' Berta again made a search, and farther down among the reports of criminal cases, she read, "'Gloomy drama! A shop-girl, no longer young, allowed herself to be led astray by a young man. Then, to avenge herself on her lover, whose heart proved fickle, "'She shot him with a revolver. "'The unhappy man is maimed for life. "'The jury, all men of moral character, "'condoning the illicit love of the murderess, 
Horrib honorably acquitted her. This time the old grandmother appeared quite shocked, and, in a trembling voice, she said, "'Why, you people are mad nowadays. You are mad. The good God has given you love, the only enchantment in life. Man has added to this gallantry the only distraction of our dull hours, and here you're mixing it up with vitriol and revolvers, as if one were to put mud into a flagon of Spanish wine.' Berta did not seem to understand her grandmother's indignation. "'But, Grandmama, the woman avenged herself. Remember, she was married, and her husband deceived her.' The grandmother gave a start. "'What ideas have they been filling your head with, you young girls of today?' Berta replied, "'But marriage is sacred, Grandmama.' The grandmother's heart, which had no birth in the great age of gallantry, "'gave a sudden leap. "'It is love that is sacred,' she said. "'Listen, child, to an old woman who has seen three generations "'and who has had a long, long experience of men and women. "'Marriage and love have nothing in common. "'We marry to found a family, "'and we form families in order to constitute society. "'Society cannot dispense with marriage. "'If society is a chain,' Each family is a link in that chain. In order to weld those links, we always seek metals of the same order. When we marry, we must bring together suitable conditions. We must combine fortunes, unite similar races, and aim at the common interest, which is riches and children. We marry only once, my child, because the world requires us to do so. But we may love twenty times in one lifetime, "'because nature has made us like this. "'Marriage, you see, is law, "'and love is an instinct which impels us, "'sometimes along a straight "'and sometimes along a devious path. "'The world has made laws to combat our instincts. "'It was necessary to make them, "'but our instincts are always stronger, "'and we ought not to resist them too much, "'because they come from God, "'while the laws only come from men.' If we did not perfume life with love, as much love as possible, darling, as we put sugar into drugs for children, nobody would care to take it just as it is. Berta opened her eyes wide in astonishment. She murmured, Oh, Grandmama, we can only love once. The grandmother raised her trembling hands toward heaven, as if again to invoke the defunct god of gallantries. She exclaimed indignantly, "'You have become a race of serfs, a race of common people. "'Since the Revolution, it is impossible any longer to recognize society. "'You have attached big words to every action "'and wearisome duties to every corner of existence. "'You believe in equality and eternal passion. "'People have written poetry telling you that people have died of love. "'In my time, poetry was written to teach men to love every woman. "'And we—' When we liked a gentleman, my child, we sent him a page. And when a fresh caprice came into our hearts, we were not slow in getting rid of the last lover, unless we kept both of them. The old woman smiled a keen smile, and a gleam of roguery twinkled in her gray eyes, the intellectual, skeptical roguery of those people who did not believe that they were made of the same day as the rest, and who lived as masters for whom common beliefs were not intended. 
The young girl, turning very pale, faltered out, So then, women have no honor? The grandmother ceased to smile. If she had kept in her soul some of Voltaire's irony, she had also a little of Jean-Jacques' glowing philosophy. No honor? Because we loved? And dared to say so? And even boasted of it? But, my child, if one of us, among the greatest ladies in France, had lived without a lover, she would have had the entire court laughing at her. Those who wished to live differently had only to enter a convent. And you imagine, perhaps, that your husbands will love but you alone all their lives? As if, indeed, this could be the case. I tell you that marriage is a thing necessary in order that society should exist, but it is not in the nature of our race. Do you understand? There's only one good thing in life, and that is love. And how you misunderstand it, how you spoil it, you treat it as something solemn like a sacrament, or something to be bought like a dress. The young girl caught the old woman's trembling hands in her own. Hold your tongue, I beg of you, Grandmamma. And on her knees, with tears in her eyes, she prayed to heaven to bestow on her a great passion, one soul, eternal passion, in accordance with the dream of modern poets, while the grandmother, kissing her on the forehead, quite imbued still with that charming, healthy reason with which gallant philosophers tinctured the thought of the eighteenth century, murmured, "'Take care, my poor darling, if you believe in such folly as that, you will be very unhappy.'" We'll return with our second story right after these sponsor messages. This story, again by Guy de Maupassant, is called Indiscretion. They had loved each other before marriage with a pure and lofty love. They had first met on the seashore. He had thought this young girl charming as she passed by with her light-colored parasol and her dainty dress amid the marine landscape against the horizon. He had loved her, blonde and slender, in these surroundings of blue ocean and spacious sky. He could not distinguish the tenderness which this budding woman awoke in him from the vague and powerful emotion which the fresh salt air and the great scenery of surf and sunshine and waves aroused in his soul. She, on the other hand, had loved him because he courted her, because he was young, rich, kind, and attentive. She had loved him because it is natural for young girls to love men who whisper sweet nothings to them. So for three months they lived side by side and hand in hand. The greeting which they exchanged in the morning before the bath, in the freshness of the morning, or in the evening on the sand, under the stars, in the warmth of a calm night, whispered low, very low, already had the flavor of kisses, though their lips had never met. Each dreamed of the other at night, each thought of the other on awaking, and, without yet having voiced their sentiments, each longed for the other, body and soul. After marriage, their love descended to earth. It was at first a tireless, sensuous passion, then exalted tenderness composed of tangible poetry, more refined caresses, and new and foolish inventions. Every glance and gesture was an expression of passion. But, little by little, 
without even noticing it. They began to get tired of each other. Love was still strong, but they had nothing more to reveal to each other, nothing more to learn from each other, no new tale of endearment, no unexpected outburst, no new way of expressing the well-known, oft-repeated verb. They tried, however, to rekindle the dwindling flame of the first love. Every day they tried some new trick or desperate attempt to bring back to their hearts the uncooled ardor of their first days of married life. They tried moonlit walks under the trees in the sweet warmth of the summer evenings, the poetry of mist-covered beaches, the excitement of public festivals. One morning, Henriette said to Paul, "'Will you take me to a café for dinner?' "'Certainly, dear. "'To some well-known café. "'Of course.' He looked at her with a questioning glance, seeing that she was thinking of something which she did not wish to tell. She went on. "'You know, one of those cafés. "'Oh, how can I explain myself? "'A sporty café.' He smiled. "'Of course, I understand.' "'You mean in one of the cafés which are commonly called Bohemian?' "'Yes, that's it. "'But take me to one of the big places, "'one where you are known, "'one where you have already supped, "'no, dined, well, you know, I... "'Oh, I will never dare say it.' "'Go ahead, dear. "'Little secrets should no longer exist between us.' "'No, I dare not.' "'Go on.' "'Don't be prudish. Tell me.' "'Well, I... I... "'I want to be taken for your sweetheart, there. "'And I want the boys, who do not know that you are married, "'to take me for such, and you too. "'I want you to think that I am your sweetheart for one hour, "'in that place which must hold so many memories for you. "'There. And I will play that I am your sweetheart. "'It's awful, I know.' I am abominably ashamed. I am as red as a peony. Don't look at me. He laughed, greatly amused, and answered, All right, we will go tonight to a very swell place where I am well known. Towards seven o'clock, they went up the stairs of one of the big cafes on the boulevard, he, smiling, with the look of a conqueror, she, timid, veiled, delighted. They were immediately shown to one of the luxurious private dining rooms, furnished with four large armchairs and a red plush couch. The head waiter entered and brought them the menu. Paul handed it to his wife. What would you like to eat? I don't care. Order whatever is good. After handing his coat to the waiter, he ordered dinner and champagne. The waiter looked at the young woman and smiled. He took the order and murmured, "'Will Monsieur Paul have his champagne sweet or dry?' "'Dry, very dry.' "'Henriette was pleased to hear that this man knew her husband's name. "'They sat on the couch, side by side, and began to eat. Ten candles lighted the room and were reflected in the mirrors all around them, "'which seemed to increase the brilliancy a thousandfold. "'Henriette drank glass after glass in order to keep up her courage.' "'although she felt dizzy after the first few glasses. "'Paul, excited by the memories which returned to him, "'kept kissing his wife's hands. "'His eyes were sparkling. "'She was feeling strangely excited in this new place, "'restless, pleased, a little guilty, but full of life. 
two waiters, serious, silent, accustomed to seeing and forgetting everything, to entering the room only when it was necessary, and to leaving it when they felt they were intruding, were silently flitting hither and thither. Toward the middle of the dinner, Henriette was well under the influence of champagne. She was prattling along fearlessly, her cheeks flushed, her eyes glistening. "'Come, Paul, tell me everything.' "'What, sweetheart? I don't dare tell you.' "'Go on.' "'Have you loved many women before me?' He hesitated, a little perplexed, not knowing whether he should hide his adventures or boast of them. She continued, "'Oh, please tell me, how many have you loved?' "'A few.' "'How many?' "'I don't know. How do you expect me to know such things?' "'Haven't you counted them?' "'Of course not. Then you must have loved a good many.' "'Perhaps.' "'About how many? Just tell me how many.' "'But I don't know, dearest. Some years a good many, and some years only a few.' "'How many a year, did you say?' "'Sometimes twenty or thirty. "'Sometimes only four or five. "'Oh, that makes more than a hundred in all. "'Yes, just about. "'Oh, I think that's dreadful. "'Why dreadful? "'Because it's dreadful when you think of it. "'All those women, and always, always the same thing. "'Oh, it's dreadful, just the same. "'More than a hundred women?' He was surprised that she should think that dreadful, and answered, with the air of superiority which men take with women when they wish to make them understand that they've just said something foolish. That's funny. If it is dreadful to have a hundred women, it's dreadful to have one. Oh, no, not at all. Why not? Because with one woman you have a real bond of love which attaches you to her, while with a hundred women it's not the same at all. There is no real love. I don't understand how a man can associate with such women. But they are all right. No, they can't be. Yes, they are. Oh, stop. You disgust me. But then, why did you ask me how many sweethearts I'd had? Because... That's not a reason. What were they? Actresses? Little shop girls? Or society women? A few of each. It must have been rather monotonous towards the last. Oh, no, it's amusing to change. She remained thoughtful, staring at her champagne glass. It was full. She drank it in one gulp. Then, putting it back on the table, she threw her arms around her husband's neck and murmured in his ear, Oh, how I love you, sweetheart. How I love you. He threw his arms around her in a passionate embrace. A waiter, who was just entering, backed out, closing the door discreetly. In about five minutes the head waiter came back, solemn and dignified, bringing the fruit for dessert. She was once more holding between her fingers a full glass and gazing into the amber liquid as though seeing unknown things. She murmured in a dreamy voice, "'Yes, it must be fun.' I hope you enjoyed these two stories from Maupassant. And as a note, most of us men can never understand why the question, 
How many women have you loved? Comes up. And how to answer it. Apparently this guy had it right. 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales offers new stories every Monday and Wednesday, early Friday morning, and now a best-of story, which is pulled from our recent list of listener favorites from all of the 400-plus episodes that we've done here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Thank you so much for being listeners and fans of 1001 Classic Short Stories. Please do share our podcast with others and encourage them to follow, and please do take a moment to send us a review. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for being great listeners and fans of our show. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.